Good morning. Well, I, I'm grateful that the storm didn't come, although if you uh, have one of those apps or you're tracking, you know that it's making its way north. And I think even right now, it's a place called Kumamoto uh, in northern Japan. So although we might be grateful that it didn't hit our way, uh, we want to pray for Kumamoto. Uh, in times past, they somewhat seem to be prone to floods and landslides. I think part of it's just the geography and the topography of that place. But uh, let's keep them in prayer as well. And, and real quick, in regards to the events that are coming up, that um, uh, the special events. So the, the men's barbecue, for example, uh, we're going to just host that. It's completely free. And so, guys, if you can, you make mental note, or if your wife's with you, maybe you can have her uh, write it down in the calendar for you guys. Uh, um, I, I haven't met Phil Downer, but he comes highly recommended. Um, former Marine, and uh, as Chris mentioned, Christian author and speaker. Uh, he's been on the island before, and in fact, I think he's coming in conjunction with something that's happening on the military side uh, on the base, but uh, he reached out and said, hey, I have these nights free um, before he leaves, and so we're like, yeah, it'd be great. We'd love to uh, have you come out, have something kind of special for the guys, uh, because that Saturday for the ladies, there is that basically half-day event, and, and that, too, is completely free. Uh, we want to just love and bless on you gals. Uh, there is a sign-up for that. It'll help us to give a, you know, a good head count. So when we order the food and different things, that we have enough. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, the, the ladies are asking, if you're able to maybe uh, bring a dessert or a side to, to help supplement, uh, that would be a great blessing. And so uh, after service today, make sure you stop by the table and you can sign up. Again, there's, there's no fee involved. Uh, but we want to make sure we have a good head count so that we can bless you and bless you well. Okay? So just a, a heads up on those things. All right. Well, it's great to see you. I, I know we have a couple new faces this morning. We're blessed that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, some were here last week. Thank you for coming back. Uh, praise the Lord. But we're in the book of James, most of you know, and we're in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10 this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible... We'd love to loan you one. You can just raise your hand real high, and these guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us if you need. We're picking up where we left off. In fact, I'm going to start where we ended last week at verse 6. We, we talked a little bit about verse 6, but I'd like to start there for our time this morning. And I entitled our message uh, simply, Game Changer. So James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, game changer. All right, is everyone good? You have a Bible? You guys are there? All right, would you please stand with me in honor of God and his word? Uh, I will read aloud from my Bible, and you can follow along uh, quietly in your Bibles. Of course, we know that James in Hebrew, uh, Jacob, so in the Japanese Bible, is actually it is the book of Jacob. Uh, inspired by God's Spirit, of course, he's the half-brother of Jesus, came to faith after the resurrection. God raised him to be a leader within the early church. And, uh, and when we have discovered he is not afraid to step on toes, he's not afraid to get in our face, but because uh, of the love of God in his life, uh, he writes these things because he loves us. God loves us. And he writes this, but God gives, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, as he quotes a number of scriptures, God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Seven imperatives he will fire off for us. Therefore, in response to God's grace, what do we do? Submit to him. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And notice what reciprocates. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. Notice what reciprocates. God draws near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Thank you, James. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. It's kind of a bookend to where he began. The same thing. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and God will lift you up. All right. For our time this morning, we're going to park there. Uh, Chris prayed for us. I appreciate his prayer. So why don't you take a moment, say hello to somebody, greet your neighbor, introduce yourself, and then you can have a seat. I can uh, teach you a Japanese word. So I found out in Japanese, the English phrase that we maybe use, the idiom, really it's an idiom, a game changer in Japanese, it's game changer. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, if you've used that, used that phrase, you're familiar with that phrase, you know, it's essentially just used to describe uh, a radical change in a situation. And I think generally we'd say it's usually used for the better. Something has improved or gotten better. There's an innovation. There's a new approach to something. Uh, Webster's online dictionary uh, just describes it or defines it this way. And I quote, it's a, a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. And game changers can be people, it can be an idea, it can be a thing, an object, uh, an approach, a concept. I think for me, when I think about game changers, I usually think about things, things that have been invented or maybe a methodology. Sometimes we call them life hacks. Some life hacks that I've uh, recently discovered and have enjoyed. One real simple, for example, is when you make a salad and you've, uh, when you want to store it, you put a paper towel on, on the top and then in a Tupperware, and then you just turn it upside down. Game changer. Extends the life of your salad. Um, that's for free right there, if you didn't know. Like, yeah. uh, uh, the, recently, this past week, I made some lunch uh, for the staff and uh, crockpot liners. You guys are crockpot liners? Man, God bless the person who invented crock pot liners, right? Just, I wish they had frying pan liners and other kind of, you know, just pick it up and throw it away. Game changer. Uh, one I haven't tried, I saw as I was kind of doing some research for my study is uh, someone put, you know, the, they, they call them Lazy Susan. And I know that we have a couple of Susans. What a terrible name. Anyways, you know, the <laughs> name for calling that Lazy Susan. But, you know, the round spinny thing, right? You put it in your fridge. And then you put all your condiments on it, and that way you can get to your, you know, your uh, condiments easier. I, I don't know. So, first service people are like, all oh, your game changers have to do with food. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, 
I, I think usually when I think game changers, my mind immediately goes to convenience and comfort. Like what, what has been uh, invented or uh, innovated or, uh, you know, something that's just made my life more comfortable, right? You know, heated seats, game changer, uh, uh, massage guns, game changer uh, in our household. But I think when we talk about game changers of innovation, I mean, we can even go bigger and wider. Just think about the last 20 years, for example. The iPhone. You know, the iPhone came out in 2007. It's not even, that's not even 20 years ago. But how it has radically changed our life, right? That is a game changer. GPS. I'm very grateful for GPS. Anybody remember the old uh, printing off the map quests and all that stuff? Remember those days? GPS saved my marriage. Thank God for GPS, right? Like, uh, digital cameras. You know, our, our kids grow up now on a day, like, as soon as you take the picture, they're like, let me see. I remember as a kid, I got to wait, like, weeks. Sometimes I, my parents forgot about the film. It was like years until you saw those things, right? Game changer. How many of you have uh, smart devices in your homes, right? Where you can speak to it, it'll turn on your TV, or you're, some of you are afraid, right? Like, I don't want any of those things, right? Um, Yumi son who's translating the Japanese, I don't embarrass her, but she, she has one of those robots vacuums that cleans her house, right? Game changer. Back in my day, uh, we had the thing called the clapper. Remember the clapper? Yeah. If you remember the clapper, here's, here's what's sad. 1992, that's when <laughs> the clapper came out. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You think about what's made our life better. I, I appreciate washlet toilets, for example. Amazon in the last 20 years, like... Like, where would we be without Amazon, right? Or air fryers. Air fryer is a game changer in my house. We, we don't even have, we don't use the oven anymore, the microwave, everything goes into the air fryer. It's awesome. How did we live without these things? I mean, we can even go bigger and better. I mean, or, or further back. TV, cars, light bulbs, indoor plumbing, the internet, airplanes, microwaves, Google, uh, and the list goes on. James chapter 4, starting at verse 6, James reminds us of the most powerful, the most important, uh, the biggest and greatest game changer to ever exist of all time, of all creation, and that is the grace of God. God's grace changes everything. We can say it this way, that, that God's grace is really heaven's life hack. And it begins with us just coming to know Jesus in the first place. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, it is by God's grace that you and I are even saved. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we do. It's purely because of God's love for you. Even when you and I were knuckleheads, even when you and I are yet sinners, God demonstrated his great love as he sent Jesus Christ to come, be born, live a perfect life, die on a cross for you and for me. And then what does God say? Receive. That is the grace of the Lord. By grace, we've been saved. Well, James is writing to a group of believers. And he wants to remind them of that same grace that saved them, that saved us. Well, it still sustains us. God doesn't change the deal. And all of a sudden we come to, to faith in him and now he says, okay, uh, I'm removing grace from your life. No, 
It is he gives more grace. It's grace upon grace and upon grace. We're plunged, if you will, into this ocean of God's grace. And what does it do then? Well, it wonderfully and and wholly changes us from the inside outward. But that is a process. You and I are, are continually being changed from the inside and out. It is the infilling and the outpouring of God's grace upon our life. Then what what happens for us? Well, our eyes are opened. We get to, as we'll talk about today, see us for how we really are. It should result then in our praise. It should result then in our pursuit of the Lord. We realize that our life has purpose. We also realize that the infilling and the overflowing of God's grace gives us power. It is a perpetual power source of our life. Think about things that uh, seem to have perpetual power. Number three on my list is toddlers. Man, sometimes they just got so much energy, right? Number two for me, it's the sun. (laughs) So it's just a perpetual power source. But number one, it is the power of the Holy Spirit operating in the grace of that God extends to your life and mine. And that's what James is going to bring to the forefront of this conversation. Now, it seems like it's, it's tucked in there, but remember, James is not afraid to step on our toes. He, he had some really honest but hard-hitting things that he had for these Christians. And of course, as we read it today, we recognize that it meant something for the original audience, but it means something for us today. It's recorded that we might read and grow and learn, and we can relate. Apparently, there was some interpersonal challenges that these believers were going through. They had some relationship stuff. They weren't getting along, and it was causing fights and fractures and, you know, people writing each other off and having some harsh words, and all of that was happening within the Christian community. James steps in and he says, you know why that's happening? It's because you're living like the world. And and often the the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so he says, you need to take, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Take a pause and look inwardly first. And so we looked at that and said, yeah, that's good counsel. So often it is something that's happening in my own heart. But he also addresses it because they were, and sometimes as we do, right, we give in to our lust and we give in to our flesh. We're influenced by the world that we sometimes can be enamored with. We want to be friends with the world. We're taken in and we're tempted by. And so James says, hey, be careful there. Because sin, as it always does, separates separates us from the Lord. Now, as believers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So what does it separate us from? Well, it separates us from the fullness of what God wants for us. And it separates even our relationships. I, I understand, perhaps you do too. I think what James is pointing out here is that if you and I, if they weren't uh, Their walk wasn't well with the Lord. It was manifested in how they related to each other. And that that happens in my life. 
if my devotion life, my prayer life, if my walk with the Lord isn't really where it should be, oh, it manifests in how I treat my wife and how I treat my kids, how I treat others. That often becomes the first warning signals of uh, where I'm at with the Lord. And so that's what James is diagnosing here for us. But again, it's a little bit on the hard side because he, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses, verse 4. James says, you're cheating on God when you do that. Now, we looked at that and said, that, that's some sobering words there. But ultimately, what does he mean? He means we're, we're cheating really ourselves. We're cheating ourselves. All that God wants to do in your life, and if you're married in your marriage, if you have a family in your family, but even for those of you who aren't married yet, you find yourself in a season of singleness. singleness. Listen, God wants to bless you. That this season will be a great season. But if we're dabbling in the world, we have one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord, as we talked about last week, you're going to be miserable. You're settling for less than what God wants for you. So you're really cheating yourself is the idea. It happened in the Old Testament too. The prophet Jeremiah, God speaks to him and he speaks to the people and he says, my people have committed two sins. The first is he says, they've forsaken me. And he identifies himself, forsaken me, the, the fountain of living water, the spring of living water. And the second went hand in hand and they dug for themselves these cisterns. And Jeremiah 2.13 says, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The people rejected God's presence and God's blessing, life that God promised them. And they opted to go, if you will, dig a hole for themselves and drink from the sewer of the world, uh, which really was just broken and busted. It could not contain and would not contain. It could not fulfill what they really needed. And here James confronts their sin hopefully be convicted by the Spirit. And what, what do we do in response? He doesn't leave them. He doesn't leave with us without hope. He says, God gives more grace. And so this morning, gang, we start where we left off from last Sunday, just this great reminder that God's grace is the game changer of your life and mine. God's great desire for us is to know Him and have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as I mentioned earlier, the same grace that saved us is still the same grace that sustains you and me today. And God doesn't change the deal. And so the original audience were believers. The original audience were people who knew the Lord, walked with the Lord, but for whatever reason, they, you know, they started to allow the, the influence of the world and their flesh to get the best of them. And so James comes to say, listen, you, you need to repent from that. That's not what God wants for you. There's hope. And there's hope for all of us. Even if we've wandered from the truth, even if we've taken the scenic route in our Christian walk, even if you've wrecked some relationships, you've made terrible mistakes, and we all have, even if we've cheated on God or we've cheated on others, we've lived for ourselves, we've been selfish in our decisions, God is always ready 
to forgive. God is always willing that we would come back to give more grace. There's always a way back. Restoration and reconciliation are the heart of God. And for those of us who begin to wander, or maybe you've wandered, you're thinking about it, it, restoration begins with repentance. It begins with us being humbled by the goodness and the grace of God, the fact that he would love us even though we're sinners, overwhelmed by his kindness, we realize, man, I have settled for less. I've chosen junk over grace. And we turn to the Lord. And then God's grace, then it, it should change every aspect of our life. And that's really what the rest of chapter 4 will be. I'll give you a preview. God's grace changes how we see ourselves. That's what we're going to talk about today. How we live and how we should live then in response to God's grace. But God's grace also changes how we should view other people. That's where he goes in verse 11. Don't judge other people. And so we'll, we'll take some time to talk about what does that mean? Is there time where we do, you know, make judgment? Yeah, there is actually. But God's grace should change the way we view others and impact our relationships. And then even a third part in verse 13 where he talks about for those who'd say, well, today I'm going to do this and tomorrow I'm going to do this. See, God's grace changes the way that we look at time and opportunities and where we invest then in our energy and our time and our resources. And so it impacts everything. But for this morning, we're, we're going to look out. God's grace changes how we see ourselves and how we live. And notice with me, I pointed it out, James lays out really just a, a, almost this rapid fire quick series of actions. How many imperatives that he gives us as he puts forth, where he says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near and cleanse and mourn. There'll be seven of them we'll look at. There's more there, but just kind of condense them to seven. James says, okay, now that we've been confronted with our sin, our sinful tendencies, here's the out of bound lines. What do we do with that? Now, James is really practical, and it's, I relate to that. I appreciate that about the book of James. It's almost pragmatic. It is the how-to of our faith. So James says, here's your reality. What do we do about it? We'll get up and get going. Now, he provided us a warning back in chapter 1, where he talked about how the Word of God, he likened it to a mirror. That when we see ourselves in the mirror and we can see our imperfections and, you know, see like, oh, I, I, I should be grooming better or, you know, whatever it may be. We, we, we see an honest reflection of ourselves. That's what the word of God does. He says, but be careful that once looking at yourself, you see yourself and what the spirit wants to do in your life, then you then just ignore that. That you walk away and you forget what you saw and you ignore what you saw and you continue to go on. Remember, James says there, there's danger in that. Be careful that you don't harden your heart or stiffen your neck or blow off the Spirit of God when He's speaking to you in this area of your life because your heart will get hard, it'll get calloused. And so He provides these action steps. Now, 
I have a qualifier before we get to this. Anytime we come to a portion where we read these imperatives, these action verbs for us to do, for us to respond, we come into application. Again, we, we have to remember something very important. And that is that what undergirds these truths, what, what underlies and I would say even energizes uh, what God calls us to do is that God enables us to do what he's called us to do. What, what's undergirding these things is the grace of God working in your life and mine that empowers us and enables us to do these things because in our own ability, we can't do them. Or we try and it doesn't last very long. We can't sustain them. And the Bible unfolds this very interesting dynamic at work in our life with the grace of God. Paul writes to the Philippians, for example, in chapter 2, verse 13, and he says, For it is God who both wills and then works in your life, in my life, to accomplish his purposes for his good pleasure. It's God who then wills and works. And so we, as here, submit ourselves to the Lord. It's not a, all right, gang, we got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps kind of thing. That's not the Christian life. It is, if you will, God pulling us up. We pull our, ourselves up, if you will, by God's gracious power. God extends his hand and we reach out and he pulls us up. Paul, in a very similar way, in 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, it's very interesting, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye, right? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says, and his grace to me wasn't in vain. Here's this next part, really interesting. Paul says, no, I, I, I worked harder than all the rest. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Which is it, Paul? Well, it's both. Right? It's the grace of God in us. And yet us then doing what God has called us to do. And it's this interesting thing, right? When we move in the, moment, when we move in the direction of God's grace, we gain momentum. And so James wants us to see that we are not without hope and we are also not without help. Our broken relationships with others, and with God can be restored. These times where we veered off, we're walking the edge. Oh, the, the love of the Lord compels us. His grace convicts us. And so I count seven things that James gives us. There's kind of a rapid fire for us, but that's going to make up the outline of the rest of our time this morning. There's actually more than seven. I'm just kind of reduced it to seven. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, 
Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. I put those together, though they are two separate things. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And then he ends where he began. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So let's start with submit to God. That's our first thing. Submit to God. In response to God's grace, we should submit to the Lord. What does that look like? Well, it looks like surrender. <laughs> it looks like yielding. It looks like being sincere as Jesus modeled the prayer, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will be done. Any of you have an older sibling or cousin or maybe a buddy that, uh, or a friend that ever pinned you down and started tickling you when you were younger? My friends were crueler than that. They'd start thumping on my chest, you know. And then they'd say, say uncle, say uncle, right? And you're like, which I don't, where does that come from? What? Why uncle, right? And you'd say uncle, like, no, I'm going to pee my pants. Get off of me. You know, whatever it might be. Right? You, you submitted. You, you surrendered. You're overpowered by tickling or the thumping of your chest or whatever it may be. God's grace, in a sense, overwhelms us and overpowers us. And we, we recognize, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. And so we, we're, we're called to submit to the Lord. We say, all right, God, you, I've tried it my way. <laughs> I'll let you have your way. Well, I think about this scene. Uh, I think it's Luke 5. You have to correct me later. It's, it's Jesus and Peter in a boat. Jesus has just taught the multitudes. We don't know exactly what that message was, uh, but Luke doesn't really focus on that. He focuses on the conversation that Peter and Jesus have in their boat. But we get some background that basically it was the end of Peter's day. He had been fishing all night. He's tired. And he clocks out, right? He's worked the swing shift. He just wants to get home. I imagine wash off the fish guts. They've washed their nets. It's the end of the day. They pack their stuff up. Jesus says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Peter's like, all right. Then they push out. And they go out a little bit, just the two of them by themselves. Begin to have this conversation. At some point, Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, why don't you let down your nets for a catch? And I like Peter's response. I relate to Peter. Peter basically says, my paraphrase, if you give me a little bit of, of liberty, he says, ah, I've already done that. Been there, done that. I've tried that. And by the way, I'm the professional fisherman and you're the carpenter. So, But if you know the account, Peter says, ah, but, but nevertheless, okay, at your will, I'll do that because you said so. And so Peter lets down his nets. And almost instantly, the nets fill with all of this fish. He can barely contain it. In fact, he's, he'll have to call for his buddies to come help him. But then we're told that he, he's grieved. And I've often wondered if Peter was grieved, and it doesn't tell us, so it's conjecture, because he was prideful, thinking like, I, I know better. I, this is my backyard. This is my patio. This is my hood. I fish these waters. You're going to tell me what to do. I've already done this. But then all of a sudden, the Lord blesses him beyond what he thought. Perhaps he doubted. 
Then he just said, he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful person. Right. I've shared this portion before. Right? I don't know the last time fish has ever convicted you. Right? You go on a fishing trip with Cameron and those guys. Look at all this fish. I'm such a sinner, right? It's an odd reaction, isn't it? You ever break down at uh, sushi, go around, Lord, I'm so sinful. <laughs> Maybe because we feel like gluttons. Lord, it's so good. <laughs> and why do we fight with the Lord so often? Our pride, our flesh, we, we think we know better. Or are we like, Lord, I already tried that route before. I've tried religion. So maybe, maybe for you, submitting to the Lord is a very specific thing. That you would say in, in most of the areas of your life, you're like, you know what, I, I've given this to the Lord and these things are God's. But, but maybe the Spirit would say, there's still this area that you're, you want control. There's fear there. Or there's embarrassment there. I don't know. The Spirit knows. You know. Can I say in love, whatever that may be, this is the word of the Lord for you. Submit to God. Surrender to the Lord. Give that to Jesus. And so we're told just simply, submit to God. So we want to do that. And then he adds, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice there's a cause and effect here. What we do, and all of a sudden the devil does something in response. Resist the devil. Now, prior to this, James has mentioned hell. That how sometimes our words can be a gateway to hell. Unbridled. Unrestrained. We can give life with our words and we can destroy life. He talked about the, like the fires of hell. He talked about demons. The idea that demons have a theology. They know that God exists. They know that Jesus is the son of God, but they don't believe. They're, they don't have a saving faith. Well, they believe the truth. They believe facts, but it's not a part of their faith. He talked about evil. How the things we do, there's an evil in this world. We can do evil things. But this is the first time James talks about the devil. But notice with me, he doesn't, he doesn't discuss the doctrine of the devil, who Satan was, Lucifer, this fallen angel. He doesn't get into any of that. He just states forth a fact. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't have time this morning to get into all of the doctrinal points of the devil, but that one verse or that one section reminds us of some things that are important. The devil is real. Um, he is our adversary. He is an enemy to us. He is an enemy to God. Hates the things of God. Hates the fact that you and I would want to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. And so uh, it reminds us that we're in spiritual battle. I think it's Tozer that said the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a battleground. And so we're reminded of that just in that one little phrase. But I think James includes this to remind them and us that we're not ruled then by the devil. We once walked according to the pattern of this world. 
We once were under the sway of the God of this age. But the Bible says when we come to faith, we're free. You and I are free in Christ. We are no longer captives, but we're conquerors. We're not victims, we're victors. In fact, we're not even conquerors. You know what the Bible says? We're more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8. What is that, more than conquerors? I don't know. Conquerors plus. <laughs> but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8, 37. And I, and I think James includes this because sometimes, and maybe this is their tendency, we can buy into the lie that somehow we have no agency or power to change our circumstances. Or that, oh, okay, we came to faith, but now we've blown it, we've made really a huge mess, and that somehow God changed the deal of grace on us. As though that was a one-time deal, we cashed in that coupon when we came to salvation, and now it's expired, now we have no more grace left. We better be in our best behavior or else. That's a lie. You and I are not forever stuck in our old sin. We're not marred by our mistakes. We're not defined by our past. We're not prisoners of it. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that was written not only to for new believers, but for us as Christians. That is true the day we came to faith, and that's true today. All the old things have passed away. We have a new life in the Lord. The day that you got saved and today too. Well, that same scene, Luke chapter 5, Jesus and Peter in a boat. Peter's convicted by the fish, perhaps because of his pride. Again, I don't know. It doesn't tell us exactly. His response though is, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. Jesus' response isn't, okay, yes, you are. He says, Peter, you don't have to be afraid. And I love three little words he says. Jesus says, from now on, whatever you were before, this marker of time, I'm here with you. We're changing it. Brand new deal. From now on, he tells Peter, you're, you'll be a fisher of men. That's another lesson. Peter's passion and desire and things that gave him joy. Oh, the Lord didn't take that away from him, but he repurposed it. Fisher of fish to a fisher of men. To use that gifting and his desire for building the kingdom of God. And God does that in our lives too. He wants to do that in our life too. But from now on, that's a mark of grace. Whatever you were before, it's a new deal. I love that. That's what the Lord does in our lives. Whatever you were before, it doesn't matter. In fact, God can even use that. I'm a walking testimony of that. First Corinthians, God loves to use the foolish things of the world. I want to make a t-shirt. <laughs> but what happens with Peter? Does he embrace that from, that from Luke 5? We never see him make a mistake again? Oh, no. <laughs> Peter has some big blunders. There's a many a time he opens his mouth and inserts his foot. There's a time where Jesus actually calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. There's a time where Peter was so sure, I'll never forsake you. I'll die for you. And then moments later, he's like, I don't know that guy. 
what happened to Peter? He blew it big, and we do too. Even after we come into God's grace, even after the Lord said, from now on, you're mine, and your life will look different, but all of a sudden, it doesn't really look that different. Well, let's fast forward in Peter's life. It's, it's John 21. Jesus has died. Jesus has ascended. Or resurrected. Excuse me. It's another boat. It's another fishing time. This time, Peter, if you will, says, well, um, after seeing the Lord, after walking with the Lord, he says, I'm going to go fishing. And it's the idea that he's going back to the old life. You know, just there he was in all that the Lord had done. He goes back to fishing for fish. John 21 verse 4, another little phrase that I love. It says, now in the morning, Jesus is on the shore. Peter and the guys fished all night. You know what they caught? Nothing. That's not a good fishing trip, right? Especially for professionals. Grace upon grace. In Luke 5, from now on, whatever your past was, it's no more. Christ set you free. It's the devil that whispers and says, you know what? Look what you did. Look who you are. It's our, it's our own flesh. Oh, we blow it. But the grace of John 21, but when the morning came, his mercies are new every day. God is the God of second and third and 50th chances. Yesterday at men's study, LJ, you got a great study in the book of Jonah, if you're familiar with it, right? A prophet of God, God says, go this way. Jonah says, no way, Yahweh. And he goes the opposite direction. And God in his grace pursues him. Rough. It's a big spanking. It's swallowed by a fish. But still the love of the Lord. It's still God's grace. Sometimes the Lord allows us to be in our stupidity and the consequences of your dumbness and mine. But chapter 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. That's grace. The call and the gift of God is without repentance. It's irrevocable, Romans tells us. King, as the, I think there's a, a song that has this lyric. If you're still breathing, right? If I'm still breathing, God's not done. If you're still breathing, God's not done. This verse, this section reminds us of that. Reminds us that we do have agency. And we can be empowered to resist those lies and resist the, the enemy's advances in our life. And it's a reminder that, man, it, part of our spiritual life, it's the unseen spiritual realm. We're in a spiritual battle. But God gives us armor. God gives us weapons. Sometimes we get tangled up and with people, and it's Paul that says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, I do. <laughs> no, it's because we took the bait. Satan won't cause us to sin, but he can trip us up. He can trap us. He can tempt us. So what, what is James saying should be our, our default response to those things? Resistance. That's the idea. Resist it. How do we resist? Well, we trust in the Lord. 
It's an act of resistance, by the way. Ongoing, practicing. Actually, it's Peter. Interesting, right? It's Peter who says, 1 Peter 5 8, be alert, be sober, be on watch, because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a lion, seeking whom he might devour. And so we can resist him. The problem is often we don't. We welcome him. We open the door, like, come on in. Well, what are we to do? Well, he kind of swings back. He says, draw near to God. Notice too, it's resist the devil. And what's the reciprocal? Well, he'll flee. He'll leave you alone for a time. (laughs) But we draw near to God. What's the reciprocal of God? Well, he comes near you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. I love this verse. You and I are close to God as we want to be. And if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? God didn't move. But he's so gracious that when we move towards him, he moves towards us. Think about our own human relationships. Sometimes we only have a certain threshold of, you know, with people, how long we can hang with them, right? I mean, even my own kids, when they were younger, like two or three, dad, come, come sleep with us. And so at our house at that time, we just had this giant tatami room. And so we just put out futons and it's like a big giant area of sleeping. And so for my four kids, I'd go and lay down with them. And it used to be minutes. I already knew. They're like, all right, dad, we're good. You know, you're hot. (laughs) Your breath is hot or stinky, you know, and they only had a certain threshold with me. God's amazing grace is that uh, we get to draw near first and foremost. And grace upon grace is that when we draw near to the Lord, the Lord draws near to us. It's the writer of Hebrews that reminded us anytime we want, we can come boldly into God's throne room of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. Anytime you want. You want to make an appointment? You don't need to. You don't, you don't need to schedule it. You don't have to wait in line to kind of check in. Here's a question for us, though, as believers. Are, are we? Are we actively resisting the devil and his temptations? Or are we just kind of giving in? Are we actively pursuing the Lord? Are we actively drawing near to God? I want to suggest that the more that we draw close to the Lord, the easier it is to resist the devil. They work hand in hand. What else does he say? Again, he doesn't really let us off the hook. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Just calls it like it is. I put those things together. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. He's calling for purity. He's calling for holiness. But really what he's doing, he's calling for confession and repentance. Hands speak about action and the heart speaks about our attitude, what we do and what we're thinking. Now, for the Jewish believers, they had a ceremonial washing of hands. It was very important to them. Remember, there was even a time where they kind of got on Jesus and his disciples. Hey, they're not washing their hands. And Jesus says, "Uh, 
you've missed the point. <laughs> what matters on the inside, that, that's what God's caring about. The outward ceremony is just a reminder to make sure you're taking care of the inward heart. And so James is calling for a, a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual purity. And again, this applies to us because our hands, there are things that we can be doing that we know that God doesn't want us doing. Where our feet take us, where your mouse and trackpad take you. The things we do, and yet we know God doesn't want us doing those things. And there's times just it's in our heart, maybe nobody knows, but you're angry, you're bitter, you're jealous, you're unforgiving. That's stuff that's happening in the heart. And so James just tells us plainly, we got to cleanse that, get rid of that, wash that. How do we do that? How do we do that spiritually? Confession and repentance. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say it. First John 1 John 1.9. If you don't know that verse, I'd like to challenge you to memorize it. It's our spiritual soap. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and wash us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We talked before, like some of us might be brand loyal to certain brands, and my wife is, certain cleaners. This 1 John 1, 9 is better than Branch Basics or Mrs. Myers or Dr. Bronner's, which has some weird label. You ever read that label? Anyways, better than those things. What else does he call us to do? Verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep, they're all the same thing. It's the idea, here's how I phrased it. We're to be sorrowful, sincerely, genuinely sorrowful over sin. I think sometimes we, we understand the grace of God, and so that will tempt us to treat sin lightly. Like, ah, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. Your sin and mine cost Jesus' life. Right? Your, your sin and mine was the reason he's nailed and suffered and crucified on a cross. Like our, our tendency and temptation is to think lightly of our sin. We categorize our sin. We compare it like, ah, it's not, I'm not as bad as that person. But here's a call for us to lament over the seriousness of what sin is and the brokenness of relationship that it brings, especially with God. When David sinned in, in Psalm 51, he writes, Lord, against you and only you have I sinned. That, that wasn't technically true, right? Because he sinned against Bathsheba. He certainly sinned against Uriah, her whole family. And yet he came to realize chiefly though, it's his relationship with God that he broke. It's not light. It's not trivial. And therefore we shouldn't think of it that way. And so he calls for some soberness here. He even says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that's not the default position for us as believers. We walk around just sorry, you know, like in sackcloth and ashes and, you know, we're kind of the doom and gloom people. Well, that, that's, not, that's not the Christian life. When it comes to sin, it should be. We're not celebrating sin. We're not parading sin. We're not rejoicing over sin. It should break our hearts. 
But we're, not, we're also not doom and gloom. I mean, if you believe uh, in, in the rapture of the church before the tribulation comes, we're actually boom and zoom, right? We're not doom and gloom. We're the sound of the trumpet. We're out of here. But we should be the most joyous people. We have the most to celebrate. Anybody excited about football season starting? I confess I, I am. And I'm convicted, though, because there's times where I, I can get pretty charged up about my team. And, you know, and now I'm doing some fantasy football. I'm like, yes, I beat that guy. But then I come here in a, into worship, and, I'm, you know, it's like golf clap. All right, Lord, you know, love you. And... <laughs> that, that shouldn't be, right? Like, I realize we all have our kind of temperaments and personalities, but. If we're going to celebrate anything, let's celebrate the joy of the Lord and the grace of God and His forgiveness. We're a redeemed people. Amen. Amen. So what does this mean then? Let your laughter become uh, mourning. And it, here's what it means in, in regards to sin. Let's change our attitude and our idea towards sinful things. That, that's the change. Again, the Christian life is a celebratory life, but... But James is addressing the casual and calloused uh, revelry in sin. The casual thought, like, ah, it's no big deal. And God would say, no, it is a big deal. And sometimes we can be guilty, right? We, we, we want to tune out the conviction of the Spirit by, by turning up our shallow celebrations. Superficial laughter over sinful things. It, it should grieve us. And can I add this a little bit of a... Uh, of a touch point. I think we talked about maybe two or three weeks ago. Uh, This this touches upon what we're also, what makes us entertained. What what brings us to laughter? Like we, we should be careful about the things we're amused by, entertained by. The movies we watch, the shows that we watch, the music we listen to, the video games that we might play. Listen, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and so each of us needs to pray about what God is saying about what we're entertained by and what we find ourselves laughing at. But I'll just say this in love. Do not let Disney or Netflix or Spotify or social media decide for your family by its own rating system. Let the Spirit help you make decisions because we shouldn't really laugh at sin. Yet so often we, we find it as a source of entertainment. And lastly, humble yourself. To humble ourselves is really where it began. Notice it's in the sight of God. So that, it's the idea, let's be honest. Because we can fake it with people. But in the sight of the Lord means it's genuine. And there are certain paradoxes of our faith that just are. Jesus says to be great. You want to be great? So he doesn't disparage spiritual ambition. But he points us in the direction that if you want that, then you should learn to be the least. You want to be great amongst everybody? Then learn to be the servant. Right? The way up is the way down. You want to know what life is and have fullness of life and life full of joy and, and fulfillment and uh, life abundant as Jesus talked about? Jesus says, okay, then learn to give your life away. Lose your life for my sake. Right? It's a paradox. You want to experience 
the joy of having things, Jesus says, learn to give things away because you can't outgive God. And the more that we learn to give away, we realize, oh, there's a blessing there. It's better actually to give than to receive. It's a paradox. That's not the world's philosophy. And neither is this. That when you and I then purposely place ourselves in a low spot, we, we humble ourselves, we leave our pride at the cross where it belongs. What's the reciprocal? God will raise you up. God will elevate you. God will lift you up. God will exalt you. There's no need then for us to exalt ourselves and walk around, and walk around trying to prove ourselves in our pride, in our arrogance, make ourselves known. God knows. And I, and I would add this as an, an, an amendment, amendment, addition. Because at Christians, we're pretty good at the humble brag. We throw out things that seem spiritual, but really we're like, hey, look how awesome we are. You know, I know, I do it. We got to set the humble brag aside. For the believer, the Christian life, the way up is go down. Before the Lord, it means genuine and let God lift you up. Amen? God's grace is a game changer. It should change every part of our life. And the things that God calls us to, we have to realize that even God's grace is the enabler of that, the empowerment of that. We operate then in that space of grace. It changes how we see ourselves, how we respond to that. Next week, we're going to see how it changes. Then we see others. All right. I'm going to beat this bell. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We love you. May we walk in these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, church family. Hey, I love you guys.